Hi, I'm Seth Roseman. And I'm Jonathan Fuller. And welcome to No Experts Allowed, where we try to make the Bible less scary, more approachable, and a more consistent means of connecting with the divine. Each week, Seth and I alternate between two roles. The non-expert takes a look at a specific Bible story and prepares for a conversation about it centered around two questions. What's the story and what's the point? Meanwhile, the storyteller joins in the conversation, reacting to the story as they hear it. Because the so-called experts aren't the only ones who can make meaning and sense of the Bible as we read it together. So if you're new to or exploring Christian faith, if you've been to seminary like us, if you want to know more about the Bible but don't want to hear another sermon, or if you're anywhere in between, this podcast is for you. Join us and let's tell a good story today. Seth, hello. Hey, Jonathan. You doing all right? I'm doing as well as anyone can be doing right now, I think. I hear that. Uh, yeah, the past the past week especially has been pretty heavy for sure. And you know a lot of people, including myself, just going through a lot right now, trying to figure out ways we can work to make the world better. Um, and that's exhausting. But hey, Black Lives Matter. Got to keep doing that work to figure out how we can how we can make it better. But I'm glad to be with you. This is always a moment where I can look for you know moment I can look forward to moment that brings me a lot of joy, good memories of college friendship and college radio show, but also good times now too as we continue to explore some biblical texts together. But I digress. I have a really important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to always have to be vacuuming wherever you are or spraying and cleaning down a surface wherever you are? (laughs) I think spraying surfaces. I can't picture myself vacuuming if I'm outside ever. But at least I feel I feel better about walking around like spraying the sidewalk and sanitizing it than I do like vacuuming my driveway, vacuuming the sidewalk, vacuuming the grass, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, the outdoor features of this were not something that I I took into account. I don't know that I agree with you though on this question, because I feel like vacuuming might be a more helpful task, even if in an outdoor space. Like take, for example, I was walking my dog this morning just along a path by our house. There was just a bunch of glass in the middle of the woods. That would have been an excellent opportunity for some vacuuming to come into play to protect my dog's paws, make sure I don't get it stuck in my shoe or worse. I think that would that would be my preference. These both feel like really excessive, but they also don't feel, I think, as out of the ordinary as they would if it wasn't a pandemic right now. I agree. I think this has made me realize how little I was cleaning. <laughs> I was, I was, I was doing well with washing my hands. In my defense, I was shocked how many people had to learn when to wash their hands and how often to wash their hands. 
and how long to wash their hands. I felt like I was doing well there, but probably with my vacuuming and my my disinfecting, um, I was probably lacking all along. What's your go-to hand washing song? Oh, this 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 is kind of nerdy. I say the Lord's Prayer twice. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if you do it fast, you have to do it twice. If you do it slow, you can just do it one time. Okay. I'm really proud of you. Don't interpret my disgust as being angry at you. It's more like disappointment in myself. And hand washing is a wonderful segue to our scripture today. So will you go ahead and read our scripture passage? I would love to. The Pharisees and some legal experts from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. They were eating without first ritually purifying their hands through washing. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat without first washing their hands carefully. This is a way of observing the rules handed down by the elders. Upon returning from the marketplace, they don't eat without first immersing themselves. They observe many other rules that have been handed down, such as the washing of cups, jugs, pans, and sleeping mats. So the Pharisees and legal experts asked Jesus, why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with ritually unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is empty, since they teach instructions that are human words. You ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans and handed down to you. Jesus continued, clearly you are experts at rejecting God's commandment in order to establish these rules. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and the person who speaks against father or mother will certainly be put to death. But you say, if you tell your father or mother, everything I'm expected to contribute to you is korban, that is a gift I'm giving to God, then you're no longer required to care for your father or mother. In this way, you do away with God's word in favor of the rules handed down to you, which you pass on to others. And you do a lot of other things just like that. Thanks, Seth. Oh, you're welcome, Jonathan. Why did you pick the Common English Bible? I would consider, together with the NRSV, which we've both chosen for episodes so far, uh, the Common English Bible is also one of my go-to scripture translations. Actually, at the church I worship at in Richmond, this is the version that we use in worship, which I really appreciate, primarily because the text is translated so that our modern day context can make maybe a few more connections with how the scripture is written. This passage in particular, I thought that level of clarity and simplicity would be really helpful uh, because you couldn't really tell from a verbal reading of it. But if you look at this text, most of verses two through four, and then later um, again in verse 11, there are these parenthetical explanations. There are these things where the author of Mark is giving some additional context. And in some other versions, those sentences kind of run together and get kind of confusing. 
So the CEB does a really good job of keeping wording simple, trying to keep sentences at a more manageable length and expressing more so the ideas behind the, the text in translation rather than trying to go for a really strict word for word translation. I think the CEB, in addition to being a simpler translation, a more approachable translation, it's also intentionally more inclusive where you might see brothers in some translations, it would read here brothers and sisters and even doing so with some names for God and other places too, which is something together with the NRSV is a practice I really appreciate. But as you were reading through that text, what were some things that stood out to you? You talked a little bit about this, but one of the things that stuck out to me is these parenthetical verses where uh, Mark just takes a second to talk to his audience. He interjects something kind of into his story. I'm trying to think of other places where I remember seeing that in the Bible and I can't really come up with anything. So I wonder if like that's relatively rare at least. Yeah. And, and it's, it's rare enough that I think we need to pay attention to it. So Mark is explaining some really specific cultural practices, some very specific Jewish cultural practices, which leads us to make an assumption about his audience, namely that they're not Jewish that they wouldn't have understand, understood why Jesus's disciples eating food with unclean hands was such a big deal. But as we progress through this story and some of the stories that follow, this idea and this concept of clean versus unclean comes up several times. So here it's talking about the idea of eating food. Later, it's talking about people. And I think that insight to Mark's audience is really important because a lot of scholars would say that not only was that audience primarily not Jewish, it was probably a relatively diverse group, maybe even existing closer to the heart of the Roman Empire in a city that maybe was more diverse, had a broader swath of people involved. So those explanatory footnotes, they provide us some context too because we as Mark's audience don't have that kind of cultural insight. And this is almost like the commentary within the text itself, giving us a little bit of additional information. But how do you think those, those parentheticals helped shed some light on what was going on in this story? If I remember correctly, I, I always think about Mark being kind of performed in a way, and especially in house churches. So when I think about Mark, I always try and picture myself like sitting in my living room, listening to someone tell me the story. So I think like it's only those parenthetical citations that bring everybody who's there in. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you are, if you are Jewish, it's a helpful reminder, I should say, but if you're not Jewish, that's really, that's your way into the story in a way that's deeper. Yeah, I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with what you said. Actually, one of my professors when I was in seminary is a biblical storyteller. And I took the, you know, a biblical storytelling class. And one of the things that she does in her work that's primarily based in the Baltimore area is she performs the entire gospel of Mark from memory. And it's just this incredible, anytime she takes a particular passage and quite literally tells the story in a performative way, it brings it to life. 
And so seeing these as kind of stage directions that welcome people in, I think is a really helpful way of thinking about things that, again, don't come up all that often in the biblical text, but do come up relatively regularly. The other piece that I, that I kind of mentioned before that I think is really important about the story of this text, in addition to giving us some insight into Mark's audience, is really giving us some insight into the type of things that the author was trying to speak to with this specific audience and these stories about Jesus. So we have a back and forth about food and clean hands and possessions, like kind of these higher level ideas here and what it means to be clean or unclean. And Jesus is kind of criticizing some of those things in this story. I think that's a pretty basic outline. But like I was mentioning before, Jesus then moves to make a statement about who belongs in the community of faith, who belongs among you know, the people of God, you could say. And he makes the argument that it is not about following these kinds of rules, that there's a different qualifier, that God has made those definitions. Then the next story in Mark chapter seven is the story of the Syrophoenician woman or Greek woman who not only is culturally not Jewish, not only is from a gender standpoint, not a male, she's also coming to Jesus for help with her child that is possessed by a demon. So Mitzi Smith, who's a womanist scholar and New Testament professor at Ashland Theological Seminary in Detroit, uh, she contributed some work about this story to a book that uh, uh, I actually pulled out an old textbook uh, this one's called Womanist Interpretations of the Bible, Expanding the Discourse, uh, an incredible resource about a number of different, different texts and, and passages from a Black female perspective. She talks about this woman's experience as really asserting, asserting the things that made her different as ways to communicate and respond to Jesus when it seems like, at least from the text, that Jesus was being really exclusionary. So there's this progression here of these are the established cultural norms. These are the, the rules of the religious elite. And Jesus is offering together with the Syrophoenician woman later in the scriptures, they're offering this picture of, no, we need to think about things a little bit differently. Jesus is really calling out hypocrisy here. You know, there are certain times when the, the Pharisees value the rules but other times they don't value them as much. And the clear indicator of when they do that is when it's beneficial to them and when it's, you know, when it would be beneficial to them to exclude others. Uh, that distinction becomes pretty clear because they're willing to make these emphases on the rules about hand washing when they're uncomfortable eating with certain people who don't follow that standard. But when it benefits them to not care for their elderly parents, they're willing to look past the law and establish different rules based on their own needs and intentions. I feel like we're ready to talk about what's the point. Yeah, Seth, I think we are too. And honestly, I used to look at the lectionary, this kind of schedule of Bible readings that we use to help determine what texts we talk about in our podcast. I used to look at that as kind of a joke, honestly, that like, Oh, you need to be more in touch with the Holy Spirit. You need to be more prayerful about what texts you consider to be able to respond to a specific happening or moment in the culture or in your community. 
But I tell you, this text coming up in this cultural moment was just one of many times since then that I've been proven wrong and the lectionary has been proven to be a real gift giver. The idea of this passage about human rules versus what God defines as guidelines and directives for how we are to relate to and interact with one another is a really relevant conversation as we think about protests around Black Lives Matter, about police brutality and racial injustice, because there are instances here of folks clinging on to power by enforcing rules in certain situations when they're not enforcing them in others. So, so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm wondering, Seth, what you're thinking about in this moment, how do you see rules being used by people in power to their own convenience, like the Pharisees were using them? And one question that I keep asking myself is whether I ever would have expected what happened to George Floyd to happen to someone who was white. Hmm. Would you ever have someone who is white end up dying because they were accused of counterfeiting a $20 bill. And I, this is how I've been thinking about it. I used to work at a doctor's office. And when I worked there, we got a, we got a hundred dollar bill that was like off kilter. Like it's not straight. And we used the, there's like a, a marker that you mark the bill with and it's supposed to tell you whether it's real or not. And it came back real, which I didn't expect. Because I thought, when have you ever seen a $100 bill that's not straight on the page? Right. But I remember taking it to my boss at the time. And I was like, I don't really know what to do with this. It came back real. It looks real otherwise. But it's not straight. And she said, okay, thank you. If it came back real, I'll take it to the bank and see what happens. And I never heard anything else about it. So my assumption is that either it was real or it wasn't real and we just moved on. We just thought, oh, I can't believe that that happened. We're moving on. The person's long gone. And that, that just seems to me to be the opposite of what happened in, in George Floyd's case. Yeah, I mean, a man who was unjustly executed over accusations and suspicions of using a counterfeit $20 bill. Exactly. And, and I think that the, the quote that comes to, comes to mind, and this is not a specific quote, but I feel like it's something that's kind of entered the, jo- the general conversation is coming from often well-intentioned white folks. This is the, I just wish people wouldn't be so violent and destructive. They're looking at the protests and seeing how businesses may be damaged or, or looted in some cases. And they look at the response to this unbelievable injustice and criticize it for being violent when the system to which the protesters are responding and crying out against is incredibly violent and destructive. And that's the kind of hypocrisy that I felt. This is one of those experiences when I read the Bible and I felt it reading me. You know, when you have those, those moments where it's like, geez, how are, how are you kind of using the rules system to your favor? The outcome of this is not necessarily, you know, we talk about Jesus going into talking about people later and how 
the community is supposed to be more inclusive. But I think the point of this text too is not to say that the community is supposed to be more inclusive, but kind of single-minded, that people are supposed to look and act a, a single way. It's that the community is so much bigger than the set of rules and expectations. So it is, yes, frustrating to see this very clear hypocrisy in how we're looking at people who are participating in and benefiting from a system that's oppressive, including myself, looking at those who are responding in very similar ways and being critical only of those responding to the oppression rather than being critical of the oppression itself. You look deep in thought. Well, I've just been thinking about the ways that that we use tradition and symbols and we say, well, it's always been done this way. We've always just washed our hands bef ritually before we eat. And we use that as excuses to keep people out, to keep from changing. Hmm. I think tradition itself and the way that we can hold it with esteem can, all, can actually be a barrier, I mean, both to change, but also to being welcoming even. I think about that with the hymnal all the time. These books of songs that to us today are so old and seem outdated and so much of the church today has moved past it to like more quote unquote contemporary music. But hymns were contemporary music at the time too. And a lot of people opposed them because of the ways it went against the church's tradition and because a lot of the tunes are drinking songs from you know, the 17th and 18th centuries. We are, we are constantly changing, generally speaking, but within the church too, we're always adapting new practices. I think really well evidenced by the current moment and how we're, you know, live streaming services or doing services online was really reserved for the largest, maybe most, most ambitious and technologically savvy churches. But now a lot of communities, I could even say the majority of communities are worshiping online across faith traditions and figuring out what that means for their context. I think it's just fascinating to see when we hold on to the tradition and when we're willing to eschew it. To take your example, when the pandemic hit, churches saw it as obviously advantageous for them to change and to move online but I think there can be a resistance when people see it as being detrimental to themselves. Some people have painted diversity as divisive, as non-advantageous, as harmful to some. But I think that we, we see in Mark's gospel that it's, it's this welcoming, it's when the community is wider, that it welcomes people who who know what it means to wash their hands ritually and the people who know, who have no idea what that means that we have to have a parenthetical note about it, that the community's richer when there's all kinds of different people there. People just like, I think we talked about this, the Seraphonician woman in the next story. Yeah, Seth, that's really well said. I think that's a great place to stop. Can I pray for us? I would love that. Great, let's pray. Welcoming God, you've reminded us that no matter how tightly we hold our traditions, we are to cling to you 
and open our arms to our communities even more. Help us to work towards a more just world where our community is wide enough for everyone. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the risen one, Jesus Christ. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're talking about Luke 11, 53 to 12, 3. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, John. Thanks for helping me tell it. <laughs> <laughs>